Let me read from John chapter 21. It's a very well-known passage. It's the passage where Jesus is meeting with Peter on the shores of Galilee. You know Peter, the story very well of Peter, the one who said, uh, count on me, Jesus, and I'm with you, and I'm your man, and all of the um, affirmations he made, and then through his walking with Jesus to the cross and away from the cross, he finds Jesus coming back to him in his brokenness and saying, uh, let's start again, and that's what he's doing in this passage. It's a very different Peter from the Peter that was called Uh, three years earlier they had been fishing all night they had caught nothing Jesus had appeared on the shore and he had said to them why don't you cast out the net again and they did that and then probably John uh, said it's the Lord and Peter jumped in the water and he comes dripping onto the shoreline and Jesus had made them breakfast God had made them breakfast after they had all denied him and run away That's the God who we serve. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to encourage us this morning with your faithfulness, your creativity. with the processes by which you mold us. And we pray that uh, we would leave here confident in the skill and the craftsmanship of your spirit, of your hands upon our lives. That you would form in us the character that you desire that will bring you the most glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We live, as we all know, in a time of huge individualism. We live in a time where, in, for many, many Christians, God is almost another commodity. We are not people who know how to surrender very easily, certainly if it's costly or if it's inconvenient. And it's very hard to surrender if you're not knowing who you're surrendering to. And I want to try and hold three weeks together. Last week I talked about with this image of the potter and the clay and the wheel and the hands on the clay. And last week I talked about um, the creativity of the potter and looked at the example of of Ted, for instance, with his steel, uh, raw piece of steel being molded into an amazing work by the CNC machine or the ability of a potter to take a raw piece of clay and make it into what we've seen up on the screen for two weeks in in, in three or four minutes. It's very skillful. It's not easy to do. Um, Or in in the movie Avatar, the amazing creativity that enabled people's acting to be translated into imaginary figures uh, and yet still have their characteristics. And really what that was all about was um, really the, the, the phrase of Jesus that says, if you who are evil know how to be so creative, how much more do you think God the Father is? And the more we understand and press into the character of God, the more we might be, find ourselves be freed to trust him. Because we tend to be control freaks. And we tend to to go, unless I understand it, I won't let it happen. Which is often very inconsistent, because lots of our life we don't understand. But where God and Jesus hits very close to home is, is at the core of who we are, which is our will. And so you have in this pottery the... If the, the, the potter doesn't speak, but if we just watch his hands, we see something being formed. And the hallmark, I mean, you can, people who know these things, John probably could give us a lecture on it, but people who know these things in any art form, if they study it, there's a very famous Japanese potter, that, that you just look at a piece of pottery and say, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's John's. Or that's Peter's, or that's Paul's, or that's. They begin to develop a style, and you can start telling the style that they use, and the you know, you know, the antique roadshow kind of thing. They just look at the thing, and they start saying, "This is the style of so and so and such and such an age." So God's into pottery. He molds and forms human beings, and He has a hallmark on human beings that stamp upon them his workmanship, his creativity. And the stamp of God's creativity, God the Father's hands upon a life, was seen in the character of the individual. The extraordinary grace, mercy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness. And so, 
God's desire for human beings is that he would be able to restore them into something resembling what he first intended. That's what he desires for your life. The vast majority of human beings do not like their lives. Those who live in the third world wish they lived in the first world. Those who live in the first world wish they lived in a little richer neighborhood. But wherever we go, we want something else. Or if I have everything, then I don't like the way I look, or I'm too fat, or I'm too thin, or my husband or my wife aren't... It's always something, isn't it? It's embarrassing. And we might be content for a week, and then something happens. So how do we find a place of extraordinary contentment, irrespective of a lot of variables that poke us and say, don't be satisfied. We've been talking about the promised land and entering into the promised land. The land, I mean, do we understand the, the, the very core of the Christian life is a rags to riches story? You love the rags to riches movies, the rags to riches story. I was lost and now I am found. I mean, what happens if God says to me, again, I just told him, what happens if he says to me, John, you, you are rich beyond your understanding? What happens in my kingdom? Because you're, you're going to be so secure in me, I don't have to give you the bank balance. You just trust me and I will deliver as we go along. You don't have to carry anything with you because you are my son. So you could actually have no money in earthly terms and live with confidence because you are the son of somebody who makes great, uh, Bill Gates look like a pauper. I mean, that's ultimately what Jesus lived like. What do you think God's purpose is for my life with that truth? I want to teach you through your life, how to trust me at that level. And then we can talk about forgiveness at that level, love at that level, patience at that level, kindness at that level, integrity at that level, openness and everything you can think of. That's what God desires to form in those who follow him. What's your vision for your life? What do you think God's vision is? For your life? This is not a negative, oppressive question, it's a thoughtful question. I think most of us have the vision of grasshoppers. 
because we're, there's no condemnation. It's understanding the tension. We are so used to living as grasshoppers. We're so li- used to living with what I have accomplished and I deserve and what keeps me comfortable and secure. And what happens if God's hands upon us say, I have so much more to mold. Your vision is the base of my, the pot that I have in mind. What happens if that's what he's saying to us? What happens if he's inviting you into more than you can ask or imagine this morning? What happens if he says, I don't need you to do anything. I can do stuff without you. That's really not my priority. That's as pathetic as having kids so they'll serve me. What happens if he just wanted to have children? And what happens if he loves you and he hears the cries of your heart all every day? And he says, I'm here for you. But you're like a refugee. You're so scared of me. You want to sit still for a minute. You're so scared. You don't trust me. You don't trust me with your life. You don't trust me with your work. You don't trust me with your money. You don't trust me with very much at all when it comes down to it. And it grieves me because it means I can't teach you anything. Because you hedging your bets with me and a potter cannot work with clay that hedges his bets you're either on the wheel or you're off the wheel and the theme of this morning is how does God's hand stay on the wheel have you ever tried to have two people driving the car or what about two people trying to mold clay and they don't talk to each other would happen you see I think as we explore the big picture it helps us with the daily picture how is how are God's hands on the wheel on the clay of your life today see I don't think every day you'll know but it might be really comforting to say Lord I'm here and I'm deliberately saying I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm trusting you're working and I bless what you're doing and I'm, I'm wanting to do that self-consciously I looked up because I was thinking about clay and I was looking and said, well, what kind of clay do potters use? And they said, well, it depends on what they, they need to, to make. But there seemed to be one thing that was really important. The one attribute of clay for throwing that is putting on the wheel, this, this is what I read, plasticity. The absolutely crucial characteristic of all clays used for throwing is that of plasticity. Without a very high level of flexibility, the clay simply won't be workable on the wheel. 
Even moderate, moderately plastic clays can take a toll on the potter's hands and wrists due to the strength and pressure required to make the clay move. Sort of rings a bell, doesn't it? Like flexibility, teachable, open. How open are you? How teachable are you? Probably ask the person who knows you best, who lives with you. When did you last learn a new thing? When did you last take a risk and you didn't know what was going to happen? What happens if God says to us, I'm absolutely longing to smash Port Alberni open with the gospel, but I need plasticity in the people I use. I need openness, flexibility, imagination, creativity, relationship, mercy, forgiveness, humor. How's it going in your life as a piece of clay? look like practically we live in a culture where if I don't like something I just say I don't like it or we say it's not my theology and we have so many cool ways of not engaging It seems one of the things that the hallmark of clay that's being molded is just surrender to the process. Struck me real, real clearly that that potter's wheel and the hands on the wheel, because Christianity, Christian living, is a full contact sport or full contact lifestyle. You and I have been around this valley for a long time. I could name, probably so could you, the growth and development of Christians in this valley. And I will guarantee you one thing. The Christians who grow are those who place themselves in the context of community. I believe God's hands, fingers, are the local church. I believe the water of the potter in this parable is the Holy Spirit. But if you disengage from the local church and just dump yourself full of the Holy Spirit, you just have a wet mass of clay. You see, love laid down went to a cross that was made out of wood and had nails hammered in. It was real stuff, real time. And I think the way God molds us as pieces of clay in his hands, is real time, real relationships, hands-on, constant. So the wheel has a place. And the relationships around have a purpose. You notice when that guy was starting that thing, his whole weight was on that clay as he was molding that base. 
And there are times where his weight is there, sometimes he's reaching into it, sometimes that's how God works in our lives. There's seasons where he works at different places. But he works through real people with skin on. There is no way that we will come to terms with pride or God's faithfulness or his power to heal or his power to forgive or his love for me as a child without being in relationship. I wonder if we understand that usually the very moment we want to bail out and jump off the wheel is the very moment God was looking forward to, to mold something on the wheel. I wonder if we would be absolutely mortified if we knew what God had in mind. He said, I intended for you to be here at this stage, that you're still here, because every time I try and press in on something that you don't like, you jump off. And you actually just accuse the person who caused that in you to surface. See, I don't think God is this romantic spiritual abstraction. I think he's right face to face with those around us. And I think you see that in the scriptures. I think you see that with his calling on the disciples. He called these people to follow him. And in their relationships, he formed them and molded them. And I think it's the same. Is that good news or bad news? <laughs> it's kind of both, isn't it? But it's kind of what happens if somebody just says, suck it up, it's the way it is. But what happens if, if you go, it's so worth it because of what the end result is. And there are many end results. Because eventually most of us kind of look in the mirror at the wet dripping clay and go, oh my word, I am so tired of this. <laughs> And we hit different times where that, that really hits us, doesn't it? We just go, uh, not even I believe what I'm saying anymore. My defenses aren't working for me, let alone for anybody else. My rationalizations just don't work anymore. It's part of what God's Spirit does, actually. God's Spirit reveals to us truth, and he just goes, how long is this going to take? So we have to have a real sense of humor about our clay feet and our clay minds and our clay hearts and our clay wills. And go, Lord, unless you work in me, I can't even want to do this. God's desire is to build character in you and me. As we said many months ago, the cross is in, 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 in Egypt. And the journey of the Christian life is into freedom. And the freedom has the handprints of God all over it. I was reading a, a book uh, by a prophetic couple who, who really caught my attention when I went to Toronto. and um, Their names are Ivan and Isabel Allam, and I spent four days listening to their teaching. And 
Their lives, for once, back it up. I mean, there are lots of teachers who, who teach, but I think they've very been on the journey, and you can hear it from them. And she makes the one statement that I thought was very interesting. She said, there's a, uh, there's a big difference between being called by Jesus and being commissioned. And the, the gap between calling and commissioning is all dependent upon character. And so we, we, we hear that phrase, many are called but few are chosen. And she makes the comment, few are chosen because most resist character formation. In the kingdom, the bar is even higher because we deal with the hearts and lives of people. Character is much more important than gifting and calling. One of our greatest concerns is leaders who choose people according to gifting and not character. A few weeks ago, as I was with the Lord, he said, many people are so focused on building their gifts and ministries that they are not paying attention to their characters. This is a big problem because for me to build, I need and am looking for people who invest in their character, not in their gifting. He quoted the scripture, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. He said, many in the church are at large right now are building houses, ministries and gifts that I am not building. And soon it will become evident because what they are building will not last. Tell my children that if they invest in their characters, I will invest in their gifts. And I will build in them and through them. Tell them that I need them to develop a character that I can use to build. A character that is good for me. I do not need their gifts to build, but I need their character. I will not give increase and release because of a great gift. I'm not impressed by their gifts. It is their hearts and character that I look at. Remember, I see beyond what men see, because men see the appearance, but I see the heart, and I cannot be deceived. I believe that's what God's wanting to encourage us in. It's called integrity, it's called authenticity, and it's also called engagement. You see it with Paul, who, when he was called... He first went, Bev read it this morning, he first went into Jerusalem, he started debating, and then I think he had an edge to him that continually got him into trouble. And so they pulled him out of there and eventually he went to Tarsus. And he spent about 14 years in that region. I think one of the things God was taking was the strong personality and reforming it. I don't think that was easy for, for Paul. But he had been touched, so he kind of went, well, I'm, I'm stuck now. With Peter, you see the same process happening, where he's, he's wrestling and wrestling and wrestling, and he keeps getting broken, and he keeps getting reformed, and he keeps getting released. And so the Peter that starts emerging in Acts is more pliable and open, more gentle. You see it with David who's called in the Old Testament and he spends 14 years between the time he's anointed as king to the time he's actually king and he's being molded. You see that with Moses in the, in the, in, in the wilderness for 40 years. I just find it astounding and encouraging at times because I go, Lord, how long? And he says, well, when your character's ready. Oh, shoot. See, we live in a time where you think maybe oh, only some of us have to do this. But it's all of us. 
God is working on. So, three hallmarks that Paul gave us at the end of Corinthians and then we finished. Faith, hope and love. How do I learn faith unless I'm in circumstances that demand faith? How do I learn hope unless I'm in circumstances where hope is maybe a challenge or difficult? How do I learn love unless I'm in circumstances where love is demanded? As an action, as an attitude, not a feeling. So if next week we're going to talk about the potter and the lordship of Jesus. And but what is God doing, do you think, in you now? I will challenge you with one thing, and that is, unless you're engaged in the local church, in relationship, you will not grow. And if you want to debate that, I'm really happy to have coffee. I'll buy you coffee. And if you give me permission to talk into your life, I'll talk into your life. I'm, not being, I'm being really serious here, but gently serious. We had a meeting with the uh, elders and, and council a few weeks ago looking at spiritual gifts and they said we don't have enough exhortation. <laughs> exhortation means exhorting, so I'm exhorting now. Um, actually quite a lot happens I think one on one. But what I'm trying to say is we need one another. We need one another to be speaking into each other's lives. A lot of the time it's encouraging. A lot of the time we actually need somebody to say, I'm seeing this, be encouraged. That's what Jean-Francois did for me this week. I wrote about it and I just disappeared so he doesn't get the accolade. But, he, you know, God will use anyone. And, we, you know, a lot of the time it's going to be positive things, but there are also times where we need to hear, you know, I think, I think this is what I see. I think you're avoiding this or you're scared of this. And what we tend to do is we beat each other up and say, well, how dare you say that to me? And we go off and we have to work through all kinds of anger. And you go, why don't you start thinking about why am I so angry or why am I reacting or what's going on here? Because God's hands are saying, I'm actually molding something here. How can I give you the peace beyond understanding if you don't experience the lack of peace? So I want to encourage us to say, Lord, whatever is going on inside me is probably something you're speaking to me about. So what happens instead of if I'm getting frustrated and I'm getting impatient, which I have been, or I get discouraged, which I have been, I start saying, you're teaching me perseverance. You're teaching me to step into the truth that I know, even where the circumstances feel discouraging, and step into that. That's what I'm learning. What happens if your picture for your life from now on is the promise of God is his hands are on you as long as you give him the opportunity? And he's forming some brilliant things in you and he's using the people around you. And what happens if you start really walking into that instead of avoiding it? I think we'll see some wonderful things break open. And I think the place where the water is poured on is in our gathering together, is in the Holy Spirit working. And so I just want to encourage you to align yourself.
to be open to the ongoing molding of God's spirit. He's not finished with you yet. Again, if you think he is finished with you, I'll buy you coffee as well. And we can check that out. And we'll look for faith, hope, love, joy, peace and patience and see what it looks like. And it'll be pretty easy to go, hey, how are you doing? And you'll see what happens. And you can do the same to me. So let's trust the, trust the process that is an ongoing process that will never end. That's why Paul in the end says, you can boast, but boast about your weaknesses. And in the weaknesses, God will be glorified. And finally, trust yourself to the loving hands of the potter. Those hands get more and more meaningful as the months go by. Trust yourself to the hands of the potter. The good friend who sent me a letter yesterday and he said, we're sending this out to 14 friends to discern the will of the Lord for our lives and whether we should move out of London or not. I've known him for 30 years. He doesn't like my opinions. My opinions are, you've hidden yourself from a church for so long you're a control freak and you're actually not allowing God to work unless you've given him permission. I didn't say it quite like that. I just said, um, I said to him, why don't you actually even divulge what you're searching for? It sounds like you're holding on to control. He wrote back and said, I was ticked off when you first sent it, but now it's okay. But, you know, there's a principle that's true. And I've got friends who were Christians for 30 years. You can see the growth and you can see the lack thereof. You can see it too. All of us here should be at a stage where we're freely sharing Jesus, praying for healing, seeing healing, seeing people come to the Lord on a weekly basis. Absolutely should be. There's no condemnation in what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's the vision. And that's what we are called to walk into. We should be doing starting point groups every three months, which are full. That's the vision. So all I'm inviting us to do is say, Lord, I have tended to wander off. This is the last word of the Lord, dearly beloved, for today, from me. I don't want to, I don't want to limit the Lord. You know, he can use everybody here, so let's not be too arrogant here. I wasn't intending that kind of word. I just, this is, this is um, how many of you have seen um, pottery made with this posture? How many of you have seen a car fixed or a house painted with this posture? I can quote to you the second chapter of the pottery book. I read it every morning and I pray to God uh, that he will develop pottery. I pray God will release in me a ministry of worship. I've read the fourth chapter on worship and pottery. You know what I'm saying? Do you? That reading the book doth not the potter make. There's a point, at some point, where we have to place the book down and get our hands dirty. 
and actually be and do. It always works like that. Most of us have way too much book and way too little hands-on. Some of us have messy hands-on and too little book. I mean, there's, a, there's an ongoing balance there. So, why don't we stand up and sing, Jesus is my friend, and then we're going to pray together. Um, but as we sing the song, I'm not, I'm, um, what a friend I found. Whether you're on the worship team or you're not on the worship team, why don't you just ask the Lord about the friendship that he has for you and the hands that are on you and what he's doing in your life and hear his voice saying to you this morning, I have you if you want me. You do not have to beg me for my hands to be upon you. You do not have to twist my arm for me to be working in you. I am absolutely yes. So all I have to do is say, yes, Lord, please keep molding and help me not to wriggle. Help me not wriggle and jump. That's why we need one another, because you just say, hey, you're wriggling and jumping. Get back on the... That's what we need to do to one another. Stop wriggling. Or as Graham Cook always says, why don't you just die quietly? (laughs) So let's sing, in the hands of the potter, the love of the Father is revealed, and he loves you Far too much to leave you and me where we are. Shall we sing this? Into the spirit of the, the living God right now. Just listen. What's in your heart? Anything that's causing pain or fear or concern. It's either of the accuser or it's God saying, give that to me. It could even be unbelief, it could be stubbornness, it could be anger, it could be anything. Anything negative is either being used by Satan as an accusing thing or it's being used by God to mold you. So whatever is going on inside you, flip it over into the hands of the potter and say, Thank you, Lord, that you are showing me this in order to craft me into a better alternative because I don't want to hold on to this. I might not even understand what I would look like if I didn't have this, but I give you permission. And Jesus, in your name, we speak against negativity. We speak against battles that we've fought for so long in our lives that never seem to make headway. And I break their power in the name of Jesus, at the cross of Jesus. I speak silence to the accuser. We speak the victory of Jesus over the accuser. In the name of Jesus, you are to loosen people where they are pressing into Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we take away from you your bluff, your power that you do not really have. And we speak freedom in the name of Jesus to people. And Father, we pray that the fingers, the hands of the living God will press in into those places in our hearts and lives that we're bringing you right now to mold in us what we cannot yet see or imagine. And for some of us, he's going to say, all you need to do is come and, quite frankly, soak in my spirit so that I make you soft and pliable because you've lost that ability. And you can't do it yourself, so I'm just going to invite you to come and spend time with me, which means like going into the tool shed of the pottery place and watching him at work and then saying, I can entrust myself to that. I'm not so afraid of that anymore. 
And I pray, Father, that the word of love that you have for every single person here would be heard right now. I love you. I delight in you. I have much more of an adventure ahead. You're settling for far less than what's in my creativity for you. And what you think is secure is very shaky from my perspective. The security I'm offering is my hands around your heart and life. And an adventure that's going to carry on until the day we, we meet face to face beyond this one, this life. So breathe in the promise of the Father that he will never let you go that we sung earlier. Breathe in the truth that he has your, your heart and your life in his hands. And perhaps it's important for some of us to surrender our vision of our lives to him. And just say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I just want to be part of that. Because trying to accomplish my dreams and visions are pretty stressful. So receive the love of the Father, receive the hand of the potter on your life and rejoice in that. I pray, Father, that you release among us a sense of enjoy and anticipation and expectancy for what is yet to come. And that we'll be far less bothered by what has to be taken out and far more intrigued with what you're making in us. So we pray blessing, Lord, on what you're doing. We pray blessing on what you're releasing. In Jesus' name.